0: Welcome to Word is Truth, this is Doug Presley. It is 10-3-2021. And we're continuing where we left off with the thought of the week in prayer.
1: At this time we're gonna have the thought of the week. God had to make a statement to say that there is now a drastic change. We must admit that the change is hard, even for people who say they like it. While the law is good, what Israel did with it is not so good. The church is not God's priest nation to the world. Therefore, it need not be under the law as Israel was since the church's purpose is not the same as israel they are not equipped with the same provisions god destroyed the barrier between the jews and the gentiles by making them one in christ christ is not under the mosaic law and neither are we the negative items used by paul about the law point to the arrogance that was invested in it by the Jews. God uses strong language to make sure everyone understands that there is a change. We are not under the same requirements as Israel. God did not just take away the false applications of the law. He took away the ground by which the Jew could biblically make an appeal. When Christ walked the earth, the Jews accused him of breaking the law. Christ did not break the law of God. He disregarded the law that they added in arrogance. They worshiped me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. That's Matthew Chapter fifteen, verse nine. Now the Jew has no ground to, stand to say that they are doing God's will, since we are not under the law. The Jew cannot appeal to their culture to say it is, a, it is superior in any way, because we are not under the law. Under the law, trying to keep the law is not pleasing to God. Is Is more pleasing to God than living Uh, under a Gentile culture.
0: Is no more pleasing.
1: I'm sorry. Is no more pleasing to God than living under the Gentile culture and thinking it is pleasing to God. I want to add a little short commentary. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 30 says, What shall I say? What then shall we say? The Gentiles who did not pursue the law, who, who, did, who did not pursue righteousness, have obtained it as a righteousness that is by faith. But the, the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? because they pursued it not by faith but as if it were by works they stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written i say in zion a stone that causes the people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame paul says also uh By the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Uh, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord and and Savior Jesus Christ. So we do not come to Christ by the Mosaic law. We simply have to come to Christ by faith in him. At this time, I want to turn the service over to to
2: light for prayer. Thank you very much, Brad. Um, if there are any special requests, please keep them in mind and in the hearts. Um, if there's anything that you want me to um, express, uh, please let me know now. Otherwise, I will go ahead and and get started with the prayer so let us let us bow our heads as we come before god dear father in heaven um, the first thing i want to do is just thank you profusely on behalf of all of us in order Truth church those on the call and those affiliated with the church um, we are so grateful for such a huge blessing as to be able to study your word in detail along with the spirit of truth even remotely um, while we're hundreds of miles apart. Um, we have the technology um, that enables us to come together, speaking the truth in love to each other, and it is this way that we love one another so that the world will know that we are Christ's disciples. I also pray for the worldwide body of Christ um, where there are you know, persecutions and quarrels all around us. Let them also speak the truth and love and grow in grace and truth to maturity and into the fullness of Christ and not be tossed around to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Help us to serve your eternal plan, Father. Help us to be mindful, to stop conforming to this world and be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Let our minds and our attitudes be the motivation for devoting ourselves to your plan. Help us to make the plan our own as it is yours because you are in us. As we have humility come to you in humility and, um, and a generous spirit. Um, also, just protect and watch over us in this, in this crazy world. Let us devote ourselves to your word and your ways um, so that we may be blameless and innocent without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Um, And by far, this world has consisted of many such generations. And it is quite a struggle um, that we share in Christ in being persistent. We pray, lastly, for our welfare, our health, our finances, the safety from man-made natural disasters. So many things just create unsurmountable challenges, unsurmountable to us, but with God, all things are possible. We know that this world is growing in the pains of labor. Um, Let us remain steadfastly focused on your word and your love. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen, thank you. uh, Amen. Dwight and Fred for taking care of those uh, responsibilities we have and we are pressing on. We're in um, John 16, 29 and 30. You have notes and in your notes it says this, then Jesus, Jesus's disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. So uh, in your notes, as the foundation of the church, the disciples faced op- obstacles we will never have to face. First, they lived in a time of the revelation of Jesus Christ. With such, unique time, such a unique time in human history, they were confronted with choosing for Christ and following him into a new dispensation. As Jesus said to them, quote, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, unquote. They had to trust in what they couldn't see. Rehearsing their struggles can help us today. Reviewing their failures is important as reviewing our own Seeing our failures is, value, is as valuable as correcting them. So we'll, we'll get right into this. I mean, we have a lot to cover, two verses. So we'll jump right in uh, to the first phrase, which is, then Jesus said, uh, Jesus' disciples said, this is very important. Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech so we have the disciples responding to some things that Jesus said and we're coming back uh, at least now to we we've been so focused on what Jesus said now we're hearing what how the disciples understood it and some response so this is kind of interesting for us we could be very critical or at the same time we could be um sort of allowing the disciples to be human so we'll dig in so here here here's some points to make point a is so it is clear to the disciples now so uh this is my cynical um, thought which is that well did the disciples really i'm questioning some things uh, maybe how they said it it sort of just raises the question in my mind. So uh, it is clear to the disciples now, did the parables and metaphors really serve to confuse them? It almost is saying that. Now you're speaking clearly to us and without figures of speech, right? So w- what do you mean? So what I was saying before was not clear. What I said before was co- a source of confusion as as I was teaching you. I would not want to go there, but um, point B, the answer is no. (laughs) It was clear, but there were obstacles in the way of their understanding. So that's how we should say it. I'm helping the disciples here from a 2,000 year uh, perspective of all that was said and, and all that, I can now go back and Be, you know, the you know, I could look at this and say, Well, this is what should have been, and this is what they should have said, but I wasn't in the moment. So, uh, there are some things that could have been uh, clear to the disciples, yes, and there are reasons why they didn't understand what was being said by Jesus. And I pointed out three of those reasons why. things to them were not as clear as what they could have been. Um, So for me, when, when I say this, it really is, if I give a metaphor or if I tell a story, it is usually about some principle or truth that I've learned and I'm trying to help others to come to know. So I might draw in or pull in analogies. Well, it's like this or it's like that. Sometimes, by the time you get to the analogy, people may not understand the principle. By the time you get to the analogy, it's clear. They I oh, I I get it now. It's like that. I see you. I see what you mean. So sometimes people have that thought. And so I'm just noting that, for me, what the disciples are saying here, now you are clearly speaking without figures of speech, seems to me the reverse. I think when, when figures of speech and metaphors and things are used, people have a more clear, a clear understanding. It's almost like saying, oh, here's what the principle is, and a person don't get it, doesn't get the principle, then you could say, well, in other words, it's like this. And then you give them other words to consider. And that helps the understanding better, not so much when it comes to parables, because parables have a hidden meaning to them. And the meaning was hidden from those who didn't have spiritual understanding uh, for, or who were rejecting spiritual understanding. It had limited meaning for them, but it had greater meaning for people who did have spiritual understanding. So parables, notwithstanding, are a little different. But that's my first thought of what the disciples are saying here. Now, we, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. That, to me, is how I would see it. So, and, and then I say there are some reasons why they didn't understand. So we should understand. Don't just judge them like I did. I mean, don't, don't just judge them as being obtuse or something, or they're just dull or not understand. Well, let's look at them. Why didn't they understand before? What took them so long? So the first, there are three reasons why... We'll we'll explore. The first one is their Jewish culture. Like most, they were creatures of habit, and their culture was infused with God's ways. So, if you think about it, the Jews, the culture of the Jews, God did show up in their culture. He really did, and he said, "Here's what my plan is. Here's." My will is the law we could say so they were used to the revelation of god i mean even so much so they guarded these and, and coveted their experience with god in such a way that it kind of turned into arrogance we're the only ones who know god nobody else can know god we're the ones i mean you know this is so anyway, in Matthew 16, 22 and 23, there's some distinction Jesus is making. I'm gonna turn there. Matthew 16, 22 and 23, it says, and this is after Peter made that pronouncement, you are the Christ, son of the living God, and Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then he said some other things, and uh, but then he began to tell them about how he was going to have to go to Jerusalem, die, uh, you know, suffer at the hands of the chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, this is verse 21, and on the third day be raised to life. Now this is Jesus telling them how it's going to go, what's going to happen in the future. Right? He's using what he knows from the Father. So, uh, But Peter, verse 22, took him aside and began to rebuke him. What must it have taken for you to rebuke Jesus? I often wonder what that must have been like. How could someone rebuke Jesus? But Peter figured out a way to do it. He took him aside. He, he didn't do it in front of all the rest of the disciples. He, 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 come, Jesus, come, come over here, just me and you. Just don't say that anymore, that's wrong. You are not to say that. Can you imagine Peter rebuking Jesus? It takes a lot for one of the disciples to do that. And Peter did it, perhaps, and my thought is, he did this because it was the general thought of all the disciples, but it was almost like, well, Jesus, that's not gonna happen. But Peter, being gracious to Jesus, is taking him aside and saying, Look, Jesus, this is not going to happen. In fact, he said, It shall never happen to you. So uh, Jesus' answer here is You do not have, and this is verse 23, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns, so this is to say that what was the common thought in, in that day was echoed in the disciples, and so when they heard something that contradicted that, they jumped up and said, oh, absolutely not, it would not happen, so the Jews were already off track when it came to certain things, Jesus was putting those, righting the wrongs that were in the thinking of many, what he pointed out to Peter, well, you don't have God's thoughts. In fact, earlier, Peter did have God's thoughts where the Father revealed to him that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God. But when Jesus told him about the facts of what the Messiah would go through, that's when Peter stood up and said, hold on, that's wrong. And so it just tells you they didn't really have the thoughts of God in their mind. That was the first reason why Jesus could talk and it could just go over their head. It would almost be like, yeah, he said that. We don't quite understand why he said that, but he's not accurate. So this is their thinking. And then point number two, the new dispensation and the mystery. That's the second reason why. So there were no ways to prepare for this new dispensation. It was given by revelation. So when I say there are no ways to prepare, I mean, it, it was a mystery. And Ephesians 3, 2 and 3 says so. I want to turn to uh, this one. Just, we don't have to read the whole thing, but just this one thought. Ephesians 3, 2, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace was given to me for you. So there is an administration of God's grace, and that's the dispensation of grace, you could say, it was given to me for you. And then he says what it is in verse three, the mystery that is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I've already written briefly. Now, um, this was many years after Christ talked to the disciples that Paul was able to write this and it became more common, even so common uh, that Paul could say, you have heard about it, but not where the disciples, when the disciples were talking with Jesus, they would have not heard about it. It was not something that was common, under a common understanding. In fact, it says it was hidden, it was a mystery. That means it wasn't revealed. And God, it was hidden God. Nobody knew about it. So yeah, the disciples, for, for, for Christ to be introducing dynamics of the new spiritual life in the church to the disciples who were going to be the foundation of the church, it was foreign understanding, easily overlooked. They like, yeah, yeah, he's talking about these strange things. I don't know. Yeah, he's the Messiah, all right, because look at all the stuff he's doing, but we don't fully understand what he's talking about. And we could understand that because God had patience with them. He didn't strike Peter dead when, when he said that. He says, well, Peter, okay, don't worry. You'll get there. And point number three is pure change. So the disciples handle change the same way we all of us do, with great difficulty. We just have to say that. Even though a lot of people are like, I love change. Change? Good. I mean, give me change. I love to change the way I do things. And really, it's not. I don't believe that's true. Maybe there's some people more disposed than others, but change, we are creatures of routine, creatures of habit, and those things, change is not easily accepted. You know what, for change, you know what you have to have? Humility. And people have it, but when you know a lot of things and you are very knowledgeable in areas, sometimes humility takes a back seat. Because you feel like you are the authority. And that you cannot learn more. People, most of the people you run up on, you will probably know more about things in that particular area. So you will have this air about you, which we call arrogance. <laughs> but there's this air about you that you just are on top of things. You just know stuff. And, but it really is a lack of humility. So what does Jesus do? He lifts up a child and puts it before them. He says, this is what it's like. This is the attitude of what God desires you to have when it comes to the kingdom of God. That's what he was teaching his disciples. It's like this little child you imagine, Peter and the disciples would say, get that child out of here. We're learning from the Lord. And the Lord picks up a child. And I can imagine, sits him on his knee and says, except you become like this little child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Having that, that humility, that curiosity, the respect of learning and understanding and knowledge you know, the seeking of it. As we said, God rewards those who diligently seek him. Well that, God, we have so much to learn, so God rewards our curiosity of wanting to know. So we don't know it all. We have to have an attitude of humility. Even if we do know a lot, it doesn't mean that we have, have learned it all. Because change says, unless we are changing, we are not growing. As hard as change is, especially when it comes to religious and traditional values, cultural values that we have developed over years, it's hard to change those things. So Jesus said it in another way. He says, I am not come to send peace on earth I've come to send a sword. A father will be turned against his mother and a brother against the daughter and so forth. I I don't have all that straight, but the point of it is, is even within a person's own household, there will be divisions because of him. And he's talking about the Jewish family. People, some will accept Christ, some won't, and it will be division and it will be controversy right inside the family. So humility, even if you think you know it, you have to stop and consider others and what their needs are, how they do things. Part of humility, if you have it when you travel, is you could, at least from when you see countries operate from afar and you look at how they do things and you say, why do they do the things they're doing? Why do they do it that way? You could have that attitude. I don't know. That's dumb to do it that way. But then when you go travel and you see the circumstances that they have to deal with, sometimes you say, you know, that is the best choice. If if I were given the choice to make to do this, I would probably do, do it the way they did it because you don't have all the information. But when you do get it, you sort of have to back up. So, so change is, listen, they, it's difficult. And I'm, I'm admitting this for myself, not just to say you ought to be aware of it. I'm admitting it for me too, because I have to be you know, open to change. If I don't Listen, if there's no change, remember, there's no growth. Growth comes with change. When it says we're to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we're not to make a religion out of Christianity. It is about learning the mind and motivations of Christ. It's not, okay, if you just do this, you'll be okay. Just do this, you'll be okay. We can't change the way we think. So, But somehow we convince ourselves that we like change. You ever hear people say, I love change. I, I'm, I'm adept, adept at changing. But I don't know if that's true. But more so than we convince ourselves to say we like it. We like change. But really, we're, we're creatures of tradition, culture, and habit. That's what we like the most. Things that, after you've done, you've done something for a while, it feels comfortable to you and you don't want to do it any other way. You don't see any other logic of, a way of how to do it. But when we read the Bible, we have to have, be open to God because we don't know all things. We don't have understanding of what God is trying to tell us. Even if we do begin to understand, it doesn't mean he can't teach us more. There's more to learn always. We're moving in our notes. Point C: Figures of speech and metaphor should help, not hinder understanding. Even the Pharisees caught on, right? So, if you go, we turn to Luke sixteen fourteen, is another yeah, instance where um, Christ is talking in parables, and the Pharisees. Well, I'll just read the last couple verses where Jesus is teaching. And fifteen through seventeen, before we get to or let's say sixteen through eighteen, where is it? No. Yeah, it's fourteen, the verse. So we'll back up a couple of verses to twelve. Verse 12. And if you have been if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one, and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, both God and money. So listen, the Pharisees caught on. So the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. So for Jesus to articulate these words publicly was really hard for the Pharisees to hear because that is where they were. Many of the parables deal with how Jesus uh, dealt with how the Pharisees rule over them and their way of worshiping God and so forth. And Jesus came to reveal all of that. So, even the Pharisees caught on is my point. Even though Jesus, he didn't say, well, I see the Pharisees. No, he was just going through, teaching, and the Pharisees said, hey, hey, wait a minute, he's talking about us. And they caught on and they reacted to it. Point D, we're moving forward. Those who were not spiritually adept could not see the spiritual side of the parable. And this is what I pointed out earlier. Jesus we, we read about parables before, seeing they see not even though they have eyes but they can't see and they have ears they can't hear. <clears throat> so Jesus gave spoke to in parables so people who could see got the message people who, who did not see did not they would not get the message, but they would still hear the story and um, and so we have to understand that way so it, in one sense the disciples could have um, understood, just like it says, now we get it, you're not speaking in figures of speech and all that, now we get what you're saying, but um, in some respects, we could see how parables could, could really see, uh, be a part of that, how they're understanding. But we're moving to point number two in our notes, which is now we can see that you know all things, and that you do not need, even need to have anyone ask you questions. So let's dig into this phrase, in our criticisms of the disciples, which we have many, we can certainly easily uh, pick apart what they said and did, and what they could have said, and what they should have, on and on. We must acknowledge that they did come to understand, and so, look. This is, this is not my word. This is Jesus's word. It said, now we know. We understand now. And is it true? We could question that. We could say, yeah, do you really understand? I mean, really? And my next point is the developing understanding still did not stop the emotional roller coaster. We'll get to that one. But in John 17, 8, let's look at that really quick. So Jesus' testimony of them to the Father. Um, is this. Let's turn to John 17, verse 8. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Important words for Jesus to say. He's not speaking to the disciples. He's like, now you understand now you understand that... No, he's talking to the Father. And the Father is the one who ordained all of this and had a mission for Jesus. And we, we could say, well, what is the mission? To die on the cross? We, we covered this all last week. The three reasons of why Jesus came. It's not just to die on the cross for a salvation plan. So this verse says that there were, there were other expectations of Jesus from the Father. Jesus is saying in this verse, I, I, I've done it. You told me to do this, I've done it. I've transmitted the information to them and they have accepted them. That's important that um, we know that. So we could say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Disciples, they really know answer is yes they really knew matter what we can think about uh yes the next chapter reveals that jesus is talking to the father and he's saying yes positively they did know point b their developing understanding still did not stop the emotional roller coaster and you know we talked about the emotional roller coaster a lot and um Sure enough, they still had to go through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They had to go through that, which was a tough time. They had to sit there and watch Jesus die on a cross. Now, being where they were and under Rome, they would have seen other crucifixions. No, crucifix- no crucifixion ends well. It's just like whenever there was an animal sacrifice, it never ended well for the animal. Animal always died. It's not just giving some blood and then you walk away. I gave him some of my blood. It is literally death on the cross. And the smell and stench of death on the cross. The disciples knew it all too well. So when that happened, Even though, yeah, yeah, they come to know these things, they still went through this whole thing of, you know, we're tremendously sorry. It's like a woman, Jesus said, giving birth and all of that, even though that was a figure of speech, of speech a metaphor that Jesus used to help them understand what he meant. So... How do I say it? It's the developing, it's, they went through, so the emotional roller coaster. John 16, 31, 32, which is very next verses that we are getting to. We'll get to these next week. But this is right after the disciples said that, Jesus said, did you now believe Jesus replied? It's a question. And this is what, so he leaves, he doesn't answer that question. He leaves that question hanging out there. Do you now believe? In verse 32 A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. So he's saying this un- with understanding that the disciples are going to freak out. Let's put it that way. I say emotional roller coaster. Yeah, disciples are not going to handle the death, burial, and resurrection well. They won't it'll be just like he gave in the um, context of John chapter 16 so yes they Jesus acknowledged in 178 that yes they did believe they do they do understand however they still as my point is here they still have to go through this emotional roller coaster and remember if we look at Luke 24 11 and 12 real quick I want to want to review that verse as well just to, to nail down um, what they did or did not understand. Luke 24, 11 and 12 says, but they, oh, well, let's read verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the disciple to the apostles. Now, this is... The eleven who are held up in a room, the upper room, and these women came and told them what they had seen, you know, what Jesus had said to them and so forth. What did the disciples say? What did the eleven in the room say? But they, verse 11, but they did not believe the woman because their words seemed like, to them, like nonsense. They did not believe the women. So, listen, you would think, remember Peter said, this will never happen to you. Well, it happened, just like Jesus said. He did go to Jerusalem, and the chief priests and the Pharisees and all of that did arrest him, and he, they did crucify him. He did die on the cross. But Peter... Verse 12, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away. And this listen, wondering to himself what had happened. Notice he didn't say, He is risen. He didn't say that. He wondered, what in the world could have happened to Jesus? I don't understand. So it wasn't until Jesus appeared to them in the upper room and said, peace be unto you. And that's when the disciples all saw and rejoiced that Jesus was alive. It wasn't until then. They literally had to see Jesus alive. That was important. So back to our notes. So we're in point number two, and we just looked at Point number B: Their developing understanding still did not stop the emotional roller coaster. It still did not. Point C: Jesus's explanation was more clear to them. So what I think is here in the immediate context, where Jesus had been telling them he's going away, but uh, they could not come to grips with that. They were so emotional over it. Finally, they understood that he—they he, knew he was saying death. They knew he was saying he was going to die. He had been saying that. That's what they didn't want to hear. So I'm going to look at uh, John 16, 25 through 28 to be more specific about what it is that was beginning to come clear to them. John 16, 25 through 28 says, "Though I I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. So this is what they're playing off of. The disciple says, yeah, now, you, we're getting it now. You, you, we understand this without figures of speech. This is what they're saying. Verse 26, in that day you will ask in my name, and I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me, and I and have believed that I came from God I came from the Father and entered the world now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father that's pretty plain language right there and the disciples picked up on that but listen Jesus had been saying that all along but now he's saying look I told you I'm going away and it's going to be in a very little while that's going to happen so now hopefully, hopefully you understand it so even with all of that understanding they still were fragmented because of the death burial and resurrection. So Jesus' explanation helped them though and we'll get to more as to why it helped them. Point D. You know all things. This is where it says you do not uh, and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. You know all things. What did they mean by you know all things? And point D, this is certainly true. Well, it is true. Jesus does know all things as God. But in his humanity, he's completely dependent on the Father for everything he does understand and know about the Father's plan. So this is certainly true. But the disciples, did the disciples really understand this? If Jesus had much more to tell them, they had much more to learn. And that's, um, that's what we should know. You know, if he's saying, I got much more to tell you. And if you look at Christ's words in, in John 16, 25 through 28, he's saying, in the future, you will get this more. Uh, the Father will, it will be more understandable to you. The disciples just jumped and said, Well, we understand now, we got it. But really, there was a lot more for the disciples to understand. Because he kept saying, in that day, on that day you will know that, you know, he's talking about when the Spirit comes and they get into the church age. When he says, I have much more to tell you, but when the Spirit comes, he will tell you, uh, he will guide you into all truth. So the disciples, in 2117, we also have another phrase. Um, this is John. 21, 17, where this is the common one where Jesus talks to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I do, of course I do. And then 17, the third time he said this to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. So how, how is it that he, Peter is saying this? Peter has been proven wrong so many times that he now is pliable to Jesus. In other words, Jesus, when Jesus talks to him, Peter listens. Before, Peter was like, listen, Lord, this will never happen to you. I will never leave you or desert you. I will die for you. I, Peter was very insistent on what his will and his plan was. But being proven wrong so many times, being, before the rooster crowed in the morning, before morning, Peter had denied him three times. And it says Peter went out and wept bitterly. And so he had been through a lot by this time. He knows at this point that Christ knows what's going to happen. And this is what he means by, Lord, you know all things. Lord, you know what's in my heart. You know that I love you, he says. Feed, Jesus said, feed my sheep. So it's just another example of what it means when the disciples saying, you know all things. Well, everything Jesus said had come to pass. In fact, there were other things Jesus says, yeah, so when this happened, you will know what I told you. right? You will remember, yeah, Jesus said this. You'll come to, to the knowledge of it. But this is what he means by, you, you, now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need it, to have anyone ask you questions. Why? Because they understood that Jesus, what it, when he spoke, that he was speaking not just his own words, he was speaking for God. He was literally telling them what was going to happen next. So they were starting to get some trust around this and it wasn't around just Jesus's words, it was around a concept that Jesus presented to them. It was about the Father's plan and the Father's speaking through Jesus. That's what they began to understand. So point E, we're continuing on, ask you questions. The disciples were just puzzled by the metaphors Jesus gave in the context, right? This is earlier on, this is John 16, 18 and 19. This is where uh, they wanted to ask Jesus questions, but they really were afraid to ask Jesus questions. So verse 18, they kept asking. When it says they kept asking, this is of themselves. And and this is not the first verse It says it. Verse 17 starts it. At this, uh, some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? In verse 18, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he was saying. But notice, they weren't asking Jesus these questions. They were asking these questions of themselves. So you know what they eventually came to? We need to just trust and depend on what Jesus is saying. That That's the answer to this. He knows what he's talking about. Follow what he's saying and, and they were, um, and then Jesus gave, gave the analogies. Well, you weep and mourn. But while the world rejoices, you will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything, and he goes on. We covered this, but I'm saying this is what prompted the disciples to finally say, Ah, oh, I get it, I do understand now. I understand where you're coming from. Right? They were puzzled, just a part of the, the context, the immediate context, right there. Point F, as we stated. It is clear that the disciples did come to understand and it's true, they did. And also, while we may second guess them, we should know the Father chose them. And 17.6 says it just like that. So 17.6 says, I have revealed to you, I, <laughs> I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. This is Jesus talking to the Father. Praying to the Father, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Now, wait a minute. I have revealed you, Father, to those whom you gave me out of the world. That reminds me of John 1.18, where it says, No one can know the Father except the this, this, this Son, and to whom he will reveal. Him." The Son is in the very bosom of the Father. He has made the Father known, but, but to certain ones... And sure enough, this is what he's talking about. Verse 6 again, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now, they know that everything you have given me comes from you. So this is clear to, to the disciples now. They get it, the concept of the Father. And it's important that they get it. It, It's key that they understand these new dynamics of who the Father is and who Jesus is and what the plan is. The, The introduction of the Father is about the eternal purpose, just the name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's about God's eternal purpose. So we'll continue on with point number three. This makes us believe that you came from God. This is what makes us believe that you came from God. Let's look at it. It says they now believe that Jesus came from God. This is the first point. I know it's very restating of what was said, but more so they understand the father now. So point B says this, it explains point A. Recall, this, is, this had been a point of emphasis for Jesus, letting them know about the Father. Even if we look at John 14, from the beginning of our discourse, well, it began earlier, but in 14 is where it all really blew up for the disciples. 14.6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the father except through me. Then Jesus says this in seven, if you really knew me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So notice this is Jesus helping and preparing the disciples. I mean, this is not some new concept. He has been teaching this all along. He's been introducing the father. I and the Father are one, and way back in John 10, and even I am not here on my own. I've come from the Father. And then in John 1, he's talk, talking talking about no one knows the Father. He's talking about there the Father's eternal purpose. Except, except me, I'm in the bosom of the Father, and to whom uh, I will reveal. And obviously here the disciples are getting and have been getting an education about who the father was. It's important that they began to start seeing the revelation of the father. Now, if you keep going in John chapter 14, it goes on, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? How can you say that? And then, in 10 and 11 and on, he keeps talking about it. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe me when I I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. And he keeps going on about the Father. Oh, he just continues. "I, I can't read enough verses, we don't have enough time to read all the verses that Jesus is trying to show them about the Father. So point C, they believed that Jesus was the Christ already. That wasn't something they had to come to believe. They already understood that, but they still understood it from the standpoint of Israel. And not the new dynamics of the church age that was being introduced to them by Jesus talking about this new relationship that he has with the Father. So he says they believe that Jesus was the Christ and came from God. They already believe that. So what is new is they now understood the new concepts of God Jesus had been presenting and that is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus kept talking about the Father, and then he introduced a lot of this is going to happen for them when the Spirit comes. So here you have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and all of their roles right there, portrayed for us in the discourse. The Father, the Son, and the coming of the Spirit, and with all of the revelation of the Father through the Son. So, so that has, this makes us believe you came from God. Well, they kind of knew he came from God, but they were being introduced to the new concepts. And that's point D. These new concepts are part of the mystery. And for us, they are common. All right, so we're way past where they were. They were being introduced to these new con- concepts from their vantage point in Israel's culture and understanding. That's why Jesus said I have much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. They can't handle it now, but when the spirit of truth comes, when this new dispensation dawns, you'll understand it better. Sure enough, it did come, and sure enough, they did understand it better. It's common to us to talk about the Father in this way. So if we go to almost every one of Paul's writings, i I picked Ephesians 1, But watch this. In verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to Philippians now. Philippians 1, it says Paul and Timothy, well, same thing in verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What about Colossians chapter 1? Yeah, so to God's holy people, this is verse 2 to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. What about Thessalonians chapter one? All right, so um, is it there? Yeah, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in God the Father, look at that. So what about 2 Thessalonians chapter 1? Paul and Silas to the church in, of, the, of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So there and you could go on, and I'd probably miss Romans and Corinthians and Timothy and Titus and all the other books that Paul wrote. Because There are so many mentions of the Father. Now, it's commonplace for us. But it wasn't for the disciples. And when you see the Father, Jesus praying to the Father in John chapter 17, it helps us to understand what Jesus was trying to uh, reveal. And... His ministry. It wasn't just that he was here to pay for sins, but here we're seeing that God was setting the stage through Jesus to have the apostles as the foundation of the church. He chose those apostles, He's, he chose those disciples. So, point E, last verse here, uh, last, last thought, is these verses do tell us clearly what Jesus' mission was. And that it was accomplished. And I'm looking at John chapter 17, again, 6 through 8. Even though we've covered these verses, I want to close with these verses again. These are good for meditative thought about the plan that we have. So this is John 17, verses 6 through 8. There's much more here, and we will be at these verses very soon, but I will just leave these with you. Where Jesus says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from, from you, and they believed that you sent me. So it's a plan, and the disciples did understand, and the reason we know that is because we have the record and we are standing in Christ today, earnestly contending for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Let's bow our heads as we close. We'll continue this thought next week. Thank you, Father, for the privilege. What an honor it is that you called us from eternity past and and that we are here in time, 2021, and that we hear your call and are answering your call. We thank you for Jesus Christ uh, in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. And without him as our Lord, Father, where would we be? So you said anybody who is in Christ is a new creation. So we thank you for all the dynamics that are here. <clears throat> and even the mode of praying to you, Father, comes as this age has brought more revelation and understanding to us. So Father, as we close, we pray for this church. We pray for those who have this mindset, wherever they may be in the world. And just like it says that all of us may be one and that we will grow in, in the fullness and stature of Jesus Christ. We thank you for those who have come and spent time listening to your word today. We pray for all the families associated with Word is Truth and uh, you, you know the hearts of all of us, Father. And we pray for... That this message will continue to echo far beyond what we are doing here today. All of this we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen.